I have seen quite a few of Daniel Craig's uh, James Bond films, but I think that I would happily never watch James Bond again if he just continues to pay, play Benoit Blanc for the rest of his career. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want him to become our Poirot. Oh, my God. We should have, like, a James Bond movie, but just insert ben, Benny Blanc oh. into the scenario it's, where James Bond would be and just see how he'd he would be more competent. Oh, excuse me, lady. I, I, I'm uh, afraid uh, we are not acquainted. I'm, I'm not acquainted with... It's, it's <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's... Okay, so Benoit Blanc is essentially Poirot as played by... Fucking Falcon Lakehorn. I think that's like, <laughs> uh, I'm, and I'm here for that. He's so good. He's just, and I love it because he's having the best time. It's clearly having fun. But I mean, the films are also awesome. I mean, what I loved about the Glass Onion one is it's essentially going like, um, if you hadn't noticed, Elon Musk is a fucking dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a dumb person. Yeah. <laughs> I love that people who don't get that movie, by the way, because the only criticism we see is just other than just the stupid ones um, yeah. on along the lines of social commentary, which we'll not discuss. Yeah. But the film criticisms of it are like, oh, but the thing is so obvious from the beginning. I'm like, yes. The metaphor of the glass onion <laughs> is that the center is yeah. visible the whole time. They literally say the that in the But the refractions confuse film. you, which is a brilliant metaphor for mystery writing, especially along the lines of That's Agatha Christie, yes. which this is based off. Yes. It's genius. It's and they constructed a whole film around that metaphor. Yeah. It's literally like inspired by like Death on the Nile, which is the classic Agatha Christie, which I've recently read and is incredible. And Elon Musk is a fucking moron. And obviously, yeah, and that. yes, yeah. and that, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they, they, they literally, I mean, that's the whole thing is that like it's been there the whole time. Like one of the first things he says is like a word that doesn't make any sense. And it's yep. like a dumb word. And it, and it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of cuts to Benoit Blanc going to that. And it's yeah, just kind of it, like, yeah, he's an idiot from the from the get-go. Yeah, I think it's incredible. And I just love the fact that it's like, wow, you were just demonstrating you don't understand what I love metaphor that we're spoiling is. this film right now. I it's love been it. Out for, it's been out for a while. What's the statute of limitations on spoilers, do you reckon? Depends. It's been a while. I think no, no, I mean, in general, like if we're going to lay it down. Okay. Um, I think that film and TV shows need different categories because I think TV shows take slightly longer for people to get through. Okay. So I think that you need to, like the people who spoil things immediately need to stop and stop. Just the worst. They're just patrolling. They're just, They're being, just being the worst. But I think for, for shows, six to 12 months after. I'm literally going to say a year. Yeah, I think a I'm year. I'm literally going to say a year. So I'm going to. F- I, I, we've probably been mean and spoiled something that was a little bit more recent than that. Well, the thing is, though, is it depends on the kind of movie as well. If it's a movie or show that depends on twists and, like, oh my God, you've got to see it in order. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't spoil a beautiful mind. Like, yeah. that could last years of, like, I won't tell my friend M. Night how that movie ends. Never, ever wants. He's like, he's against spoilers. He's like, there is no statute of limitations. You can never yeah. spoil anything. And I kind of get that when okay, you're talking. If it's a lighthearted thing like Glass Onion. Yeah, I think you know it's I mean? six months is like, yeah, come on. Fine. Also, like, and also the twist is what you thought from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, but if it's something like, like you say, Beautiful Mind or whatever, um, for me, it's uh, like, I've never told my eldest about Empire Strikes Back. I've never, oh yes. God, I've never revealed that because I want to bear witness. <laughs> To her reaction to something that has been a, a so truth true. for me for my entire yeah, because we don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember what it's like finding yeah, that out. We would can't wait to see. Yeah, definitely have watched it earlier than than her age. Yeah, yeah. and like, the thing is, like, she's seen A New Hope, um, including the the ending of A New Hope, which is of course a Nazi propaganda film. Um, <laughs> what the fuck is the, that scene? It, well, the thing is, it's shot for shot remake of a Lainey Riefenstahl oh Nazi propaganda film, <laughs> and if you watch them side by side. It's a bit fucking weird um, because there's a Wookie, there's a Wookie in Who the, the yeah okay yeah interesting it's I mean the Wookie's you know 
You know what they're like. They're um, forward-facing eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Hi everybody, we're back, and and we're we're all here, all of us, you included. How's it going? Welcome to the Music and Everything podcast. That's my radio voice. Uh, I'm going to end every sentence with the inflection upward. Today, we're talking about a subject that's very important to us, human history, and hopefully you by the end of this episode, and that is whiskey. Whiskey. So how are we spelling that internally, Sam? Uh, H. Okay, that's H W H. H W H I S K A H. Whiskey. Okay. Uh, can I just point out because I've just looked down at your notes. Yes. And you have whiskey spelled oh, that's W a good one. W A H I S K A Y. Whiskey. Okay. <laughs> Um, that sounds like whiskey with a, a hallucinogen inside of it. I a whiskey. Um, so yeah, we we are uh, serious researchers, and this is a serious podcast. And deadly uh, serious. We are my we are talking about the wonder that is whiskey today. Samuel in the hat, chief investigator. Indeed. How you gone? I gone now. Um, <laughs> I gone good. Um, whiskey, which I will never say properly in this entire episode. Okay, we're in for a time is a divisive but popular spirit. How can it be divisive and popular? Well, lots of people can like it, but there then lots of other of people cannot like it. Do you know there's so many fucking people in the world? Get out there's of here. There's a lot of people in the world. That's, no, I need a fact check on that. Um, so the spelling of whiskey is genuinely, most of the time, <laughs> W-H-I-S-K-Y. Really? Yes. I would have thought well, the E I, I got the E in my brain. Well, okay, so... So you're wrong, obviously. We have the E in our brain, and the reason why is because Irish whiskey is spelt with an E. Oh, that'll be that then. So are American whiskeys. Really? So no, I thought it was the other way around. I thought that American whiskey didn't have an no, E. No, it has the E. So like bourbon whiskey spelt with an E. Huh. Um, but Scotch is... Scotch whiskey spelt with, without the E. Right. Um, and so this gets a bit funny because you think, oh, that's really universal. That's going to be, that's easy, but it's not really. Old Forester bourbon in the US is spelt without an E. Oh, for fuck's sake. Um, so who cares? Um, it's just, it's yeah. whiskey. But they're generally spelt without the E because it's kind of the most universal one. We understand each other when we um, say whiskey. And the more we drink of it together, <laughs> the more, the we, more that becomes true. Yeah, and the less we care about how it's spelt. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but like in Australia, it's kind of, it feels more regional because you sort of go like, oh, whiskey spelt with an E is like, if, if you made a bourbon in like Australia or something, which I presume is done, um, you would spell it with an E because that's what that is. If you mm. made a Scotch style one, you'd spell it without the E. Right. It, I would love to like, actually, you know what? Hit us up, listeners, friends. Uh, Countrymen. If you know of any solid Australian uh Bourbonistas, uh, which is a word that I hope is, um, because you know, like I, I don't think I've ever come across an Aussie uh, bourbon necessarily. 
Mm, yeah, actually, because like yeah, oh, I, I, mm. the thought just occurred to me. Actually, mm. I was just I'm really curious about that. Look, we've um, definitely had a, like Australian whiskies, like Tassie, Tasmania makes yeah. some fucking legitimate whiskies, and there's yeah, Starwood, like, yeah. which is from Melbourne, from Victoria, Melbourne. Only, from Victoria. Yeah, I should say Victoria, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> there's more to Victoria than Melbourne. Yeah, but they're they're like whiskies, not bourbons. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What I mean. but I don't think I've ever stumbled across, and I would stumble because I don't actively reach for bourbon, do mm. I? As a rule. <laughs> oh no, it's actually quite nice. Um, <laughs> uh, whiskey, yes, is has been long romanticized, mm-hmm. and I want to begin there, okay? Uh, because we see it as a drop of heavenly wonder or a drop of petrol that you hate. Um, but okay. uh, either way, it's, it provokes <laughs> strong emotions. Um, and this is an extract I'm about to read. Okay. From a book called Whiskey by nice. Anise McDonald. Anise? Is An- that how Anise? that's spelled? Because it looks a lot like anus Anais? to me. It's not anus McDonald. Anus. It's not. I wish it <laughs> was. Heather. I feel like Anus McDonald is about as close to a biography of See? like Scott Morrison, you could get. <laughs> former Prime Minister of Australia who shat himself at Egg and Die McDonald's at one time. Look it up. Um, yeah, so a book by Scott Morrison. <laughs> that looks like a, the name of like an ancient. I'm wondering if I've got. No, it is. Show. It's one of the. It's, Aeneas. Yeah, Aeneas. It's yeah, the, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it the um, one of the founders of Rome or the, the father the of Romulus? Aeneas, or? The, oh yeah, Aeneas? he. I don't yeah. know his. He's no, the father of Romulus. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He, yeah. Romulus carries him on his back to found the new. I think right. something like I that. I think some, uh, yeah, like, I don't think that's quite right. But yeah, someone, I think I'm wrong at a yeah. key detail, but he's involved. <laughs> he's um, he's pre- And he's Anus McDonald. Yeah. Anus McDonald. Scott Morrison. Um, and this was published in 1930. It was a popular book um, about whiskey. So, like, if you take picture, like, your, your books at your local bookstore and they're about a spirit of something like about gin or about beer mm-hmm. or about, like, whiskey. And they you often have, like, you know, tasting notes and they've got sort of romantic descriptions about about the drink and like that's sort of inspiring. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of thing you give as a gift to someone who likes the thing. Yeah. This is kind of like an early one of those, but it's amazing to read because it is so rich in its description to the point of absurdity. Okay, hit me. Of the history, geography, literature, philosophy, morals, use and abuse, praise and scorn of whiskey volumes might be written. They will not be written by me. Yet it is opportune that a voice be raised in defense of this great, potent, and princely drink, where so many speak to slight and defame, and where so many glasses are emptied foolishly and irreverently in ignorance of the true qualities of the liquid and in contempt of its proper employment. For, if one might, for a trope's sake, alter the sex of this most male of beverages, one would say that there be many who take with them to the stews beauty and virtue which should command the grateful awe of men." Though in truth there is little of the marble idol of divinity about this swift and fiery spirit, it belongs to the alchemist's den and to long nights shot with cold flickering beams. Holy it is shit. compact of <laughs> druid spells and sabbaths, of the witches and the Calvinists. Its graces are not shameless, Latin, and abundant, <laughs> but have a sovereign austerity. Whether the deserts or the north winds, there oh are flavors God. in it. Insinuating and remote from mountain torrents and the scanty soil on moorland rocks and slanting rare sun shafts. Okay, so can I just say, first of all, (laughs) that as that went on, it became very clear that um, Anus McDonald was jerking it Uh, during that. That that was masturbation, if ever I've heard it. Secondly, 
Love to find out that whiskey has a penis, um, that, which is, <laughs> yeah, which is was, great. It's most male of yeah. I know. I was like, there's a lot to unpack here, but yeah. first and foremost. Yes. We must discuss the angle of the dangle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like the, but then that continues, not the, the dangle, but the, but the like masculinization of this beverage where yeah. it's considered a very masculine beverage. Like, like uh, Ron Swanson yes. from Parks and Recreation. Parks and Rec, yeah. Like, Epitomizes just like the person of whiskiness. Yes, <laughs> it was like Being gin a is a drink time. for divorcees, my friend. Yeah, that <laughs> kind of shit. Yeah, true. But I mean, that feels really gatekeepery to me. Oh yes, which is the case with a lot of things that are very specialized. I, I guess even like you see it in in prog metal and whatever else. There's just like, oh, that's not really prog, is it? Uh, I hate Jim Gray's voice. It really it <laughs> it sucks. It ruins the band. <laughs> my feelings are hurt. <laughs> I just like they should write it like um like you just, yeah you just kept going and going with that and I was like holy kept, fuck I'm like it just kept it, and it keeps got more, going for it the got whole more book. and more and more <laughs> it's absurd like, that, yeah. like it's like it's for the alchemist den and I'm yeah, like so dude good. this guy is like conjuring with like spells like is he actually a wizard you get what no I'm just ignore me I'm just picking up the book again it doesn't mean I'm gonna read from <laughs> it doesn't matter I'm just really engaged with this uh, um this, this narrative here what this are you poetry. Doing? <laughs> Some might say that whiskey is a Protestant drink, but it is rather a rationalistic, metaphysical, and dialectical drink. It stimulates specula- speculation and nourishes lucidity. Nourishes lucidity. No. I Does risk it? to differ. We may yet return say. to anus, but first, we should discuss what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. Samantha. Yeah. Yes. In your science corner. Oh, yes. Please describe oh, to right. us what whiskey We find is. ourselves... In the dark and dank area of the room, uh, the the full shaded, <laughs> flickering fluorescent light of the science corner. Of the science corner. <laughs> We've primed ourselves for description. From yeah, the I know. Reading. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to be describing anything as eloquently as uh, Aeneas over here. Those flickering beams. <laughs> and I am occasionally going to get distracted by my little drawing of a scalloped hammerhead shark because it's actually really cute. There is a sketch there. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Okay. So. Whiskey, you've already raised the point of, you know, the E, not E distinction defining sort of Scotch versus Irish versus Let's bourbon. not worry about it Let too much. Let's not worry too much about it. So what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to go through sort of like the broad categories and then kind of try and break it down because there's many ways that one can sort of understand whiskey. Um, you can do it through region. You can do it through tasting. You can do it through dis- distillation processes. I'm just going to go Scotch, Irish, American style. And then we'll see where this journey takes us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again. So I do have diagrams. Um, <laughs> That's very useful. Hey, guys, look at this. <laughs> Check this out. Okay, so we're going to start with scotch because I think that scotch, I'm biased. Scotch is my favorite. Okay. Um, I am very partial to wow. it. I enjoy, I'm, I love them all equally, but scotch is my favorite. What is? And you tell this after our marriage. What is it that you uh, like most out of it other than the oppression of the Irish people. Uh, what what <laughs> about Scotch? Yeah, what is it what is it that you, that you um, enjoy? It's the, the most? peatiness of it. Okay, it's, so you like it's a smoky, smoky whiskey. Peaty. Right, so cool. that, and I suppose that, we'll get into that. In the, and so that's a really good place to start actually. Scotch is kind of defined by smoke and peat. Right. And Irish is kind of like traditionally described as like honey syrup. Well I mean the thing is I have had um, Scotch whiskies that are sort of honeyed and whatever yes. else. And it's just like you end up towards that PTN because of yes. the natural escalation of your uh, your that, devolution into whiskey. Yes, and that is because I think the scotch that is most well known is the like Isla Scotch and the mm-hmm. Highland Scotches. 
um, and the and those sorts of like smoky peaty ones mm-hmm. uh, versus perhaps like the lowland, the, the space side. So we're going to get into all of that. Nice. So basically scotch, sorry, were you no, about no, to ask my a hand question? is not up. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> scotch originates in Scotland, obviously. That's why it's called scotch. Um, I, I, I say that play. as though it's, oh, okay. Do you want to? Do you want to just like jump in real quick and? Okay, so the thing is, is that um, you know one of the reasons why whiskey developed is because of the ingredients that are around. So and you know things like peat. Mm. So um, he's really good. <laughs> yeah, like peat was so good at making Dude, he's whiskey. So good at whiskey. Uh, no, and Ireland and Scotland both had it, but of course records are scant, so we don't actually know where it was made first. I'm not you saying could that either. It- it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> We're okay, saying. babe. We're okay. Scotch, though. Um, yeah, yeah, so Scotch and Irish could have been made at the same time in combination, one or the other. Unclear. So you're saying that, like, the Irish could have developed the, the technique and de- moved yep. it to Scotland. The point that I'm making is that you can't call something Scotch if it's not made in Scotland. Well, that seems fair. Um, and, you know, like, it, this is confusing as well because in Australia we don't really say Scotch. Like, in Scotch is a term and you really used in the US to describe non-American whiskey. Right. That's like Scotch whiskey. But, but if it's Scot- not made in the Scotch region of France. Yes. <laughs> not, then you can't. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, Otherwise it's just known as sparkling joy. Um, the thing that defines, uh, so in order for it to be called Scotch, it has to be made with malted barley. It has to be aged for no less than three years and it has to be made in Scotland. That's what how you can get the Scotch mm. label. Okay. But like all whiskey is, is barley, right? Um, no, and that's ah. where I'm going to get into it. So the other thing is it has to be double distilled. So I've already mentioned like there's regions with this. So you've got the the islands, Islay, Lowlands, Highlands, Speyside, Campbelltown. These are all areas in which make whiskey or scotch. And so if you pull everyone, pull out your map of Scotland um, that you have <laughs> on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously the islands are the islands of the Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> That's west. Just never eat soggy wheat bix. Yeah, figure I, it out. I don't know. <laughs> um, the northwest. Um, I Eli, which is the one that we all know because of Lagavulin. I, f- I think it's it, Isla. Is it Isla? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's you been, said it right the first time. I don't know. I, I switched between them. <laughs> but you literally pronounced it three different ways already, which Have is I fucking really? great. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, can you say Islay for the next one, please? <laughs> <laughs> so Islay is on the southwest of Scotland, and then you've got Campbelltown, which is like a small little island just west of the lowlands, which is the bottom of Scotland. Okay. Highlands are in the middle. Yeah. And then the space side is in sort of like the northeast of Scotland. Okay. And so the thing that is kind of significant about this is obviously, as you've already mentioned, the way the whiskey tastes is based on what is around when it was originally developed. And so yeah. this is like kind of a historical perspective. So when these regions were developing their whiskey distillation, they were constrained by the things around them. Now they are not, mm-hmm. but they've maintained mm. these sorts of regional distinctions. Yeah. For a market perspective, honestly, but That's, also yeah. such Tra- an important tradition, point. I guess. Yeah. And it's a tradition. So like It's not like a wine region, right? No. Where you're just thinking about, oh, it tastes like that because of the stuff that's because grown of the there. Soil. That, that's long no. past. So <laughs> they you know, either Scotch tastes like that because, as you said, like tradition, they yes. continued it. But that's mm. why like you can break that, like um Kalila. Um yes. they're they're not like a PT. No. Um, Scotch, but they're in Isla. They're on made in Isla. Yeah, and so when I, I'm, so I'm going to describe sort of the typical flavors that come from these different regions, and obviously there are many variations because there's lots of just dis- there's lots of um, distilleries 
that do lots of different things. But this is what we define as the typical flavour. So the lowlands, which is right at the bottom of Scotland, are sort of characterised by light and mild-bodied scotch. So it's very light. It's kind of closer to the Irish in the sense that it's like mm-hmm. kind of a bit fruitier. Okay. The highlands, which are in the middle of Scotland, are fruity and spicy. Okay. Which so when you nice. say spicy, do you, you mean you don't mean it's like not like chili infused, but yeah, it's got cardamom. like pepper <laughs> tones yeah, to it, right. or it's got like these sort of like yeah, it's got sort of these like uh, spice elements, kind of like when you think about spiced rum, where it's got almost like a like a, a cardamom depth, depth of flavor. Yeah, but it, it's kind of zingy. That's not alcohol zingy. Righto. Mm. Then, then Islay is smoky, peaty, <laughs> thank and you briny. For, thank you for continuing yeah. the theme, yeah. Speyside, which is in that northwest region, is actually the most complex of them all, and it has sweet tones and a rich taste because it's it's just they use the water from the River Spey, mm-hmm. which flows through the area. Speyside, gotcha. River Spey, yeah, yeah, we're there. Things are named after things that make sense sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and then. Um, Campbelltown is very, very similar to Isla. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay. Um, with But it's more briny. We're going to get corrected by someone at some point. Actually. So. It's Ilago. Let me just really quickly. I will get into the process of how it's made. Yeah, because I was going to ask like. Like the key point here, I think, is like what what actually creates the flavor. So the thing that creates the flavor. So obviously, like if anyone remembers the uh, beer episode. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar process at the beginning to make whiskey. You sort right. of create the mash, you ferment it, but then the and dis- that's like malted barley. That's malted barley. Barley or, soup. So this is probably uh, just a sort of tangent. So when we're talking about whiskeys, you can have single malt, you can have grain, and you can have blended. Mm-hmm. Those are the three kind of categories that are not American whiskey that are right. like Irish or Scotch. Mm-hmm. You can have single malt, you can have grain, or you can have blended, and these are always labelled as such. And so single malt means that it's it's malted barley, yeast and water. That's it. It's just malted barley. Grain is basically that they use one particular grain. 50% of the the grain is one particular grain. So it's either corn, wheat, but you can have, so you can have ones that are like 70% corn. You can have ones that are like 50% corn. It's got to be like a majority of one grain for it to be grain whiskey. And then blended is essentially just a combination of a whole bunch of shit. Yeah, right. Okay. Which is often grain whiskey, right? Because I, I understand yes. like a lot of, especially like like cheaper blended whiskeys, is like you mix the grain whiskey yes, spirit with, with, with the malt whiskey. With the malt whiskey spirit. Can I ask, in terms of flavor, flavor, what is the the big kind of distinction between, say, a single malt or a grain or a blended? Because in my experience, obviously, like for me, I te- like with a single malt, I feel like there's a purity of flavor to that. And it's like in one direction, whereas like yeah. a, a like a blended for me is like really kind of aggressive and intense and kind of a lot more complex, which is harder to kind of discern. And I don't enjoy blended scotch as much as I do single malt for that reason. Could be totally it, psychosomatic. I mean, I think <laughs> it's it's about like a um, consistent fermentation and a consistent sort of distillation process that if you've got this one universal flavor, because they're also using entirely the same strain of barley. It's not like right. this different barley. It's the same strain of barley. Mm. So you have this consistency, which probably feels smoother because you're not getting these sort of slightly clashing flavors from, say, like grain and malted barley coming okay. together. Right. I agree with you. I like single malt mm-hmm. better than I like blended. Um, I'm, I'm drawing the fucking line in the sand. But I don't, I don't know exactly why there would be this distinction because it's all distilled anyway, and it all goes through the same yeah, process. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of like this is the point where the romanticism comes back because right. you sort of have this like, 
I don't know. A sort of, a sort of magic happens because like a single malt is like my, my vibe, my little sort of psychological yeah. imagined response is that they have like a personality. Right. That's really strong. But we're also like, distinctive. you know, like we, you know, coming of age in our family, like our dad is yeah. a big fan of single malt and we were introduced yeah. to it. So it's kind of like that's, that's what our adult yeah. drinking is steeped in. Actually, that's worth saying as well. It's like, like your first whiskey experience, like whether you even develop a taste for neat alcohol, which mm. <laughs> so a lot of people don't like at yeah. all. And the f- I remember the first time trying a whiskey and because I'm the youngest in the family, sort of everyone had sort of gotten into whiskey to some extent, at least in a sense of appreciation. Sometimes all at once, yep. yeah. <laughs> and like there would be like a sip of whiskey and it would be like, and everyone would be like, oh, you've got to try this. You've got to try this peaty, amazing single malt. And I'm like, okay, I'll try it. This smells like, oh, what am I doing? Why are you making me do this? And this is, I'm about 18 years old. Making you do <laughs> this. <laughs> that's, that's basically what it was. Yeah. And then I, I took a sip of it and I was, it was like, 150% revulsion. It was like it was. I was sipping petrol. It was like, <laughs> what have you done to me? Yay. And then I think it was about like 18 months later, just taste buds in adulthood kicked in. Yeah. Drank enough coffee and bitter taste buds and or you'd, something. And you started to suffer enough as an adult <laughs> yes. that you required some kind of um, uh, pain in your enjoyment of things. And I just took a sip of Irish whiskey or something and it's like, oh, that's actually tasty. When did that happen? <laughs> like, mm. am, I, have, I have mean, I, am I broken now? I remember yes. I remember having whiskey for the first time. You mm-hmm. were there and you were there. Yay. Um, and Because that we... was when Sam and I met. Oh, But I remember I had uh, Glamorangi, which is uh, Irish, and it is like it is Scottish. Scottish. Sorry, you're right. Um, And it was it's honey. It's absolutely yeah. It's a really gateway whiskey because it's super smooth. And that was the best way to go because then I think after that I had Monkey Shoulder, which is a blended, and it's like it's it's a lot more. It's intense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think that's rather than going like you got to. You gotta die this whiskey. Yes. You gotta have this peaty bit. Okay, and so we, we keep bringing up this. Is lago tasty? We keep bringing up this thing called peat, and like peat is, I think, on the he? whole, mm-hmm. Scotch is like kind of on a scale from peaty to mild. We don't recommend putting Scotch on the whole, by the way. Uh, as a rule, uh, an alcohol enema is a bad idea. Okay. Um, okay. So I've got a whole section here that's titled "What the fuck is peat?" Okay. Um, so what is peat? Peat is an accumulation of partially decayed vegetation or organic matter. Right. So basically, the the cute like article that I read basically was like the way that you could like write this out is like flora plus death and water minus oxygen. Multiplied by pressure and time equals peat. And, and I'm like, that to you is a cute sentence. Yeah, it's cute. Like it's the <laughs> it has the word death in it. Yeah. And also mathematics. So <laughs> I think that's why I thought it was cute because it's yeah, like right. you're taking organic process and that's trying like to That's like the most aggressive it. entry to a poetry competition I've ever heard. It's just like. Yeah, it's like slam poetry. Organic matter um, and death. So ah. the reason why, and this is a sort of an important distinction about like why is scotch so peaty? Because it is unique to very particular areas, bogs, moors, peatlands, and it only exists in colder climates. Right. So Scotland is cold. Yes, we all agree about that. <laughs> From time yes. to time. From Let time us form to- a consensus. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it is, and it also has these like rich like moors and peatlands that mm-hmm. meant that they have like an abundance of peat. Right. And so you it like the ecosystem is really old and it's the most efficient carbon sink on the planet and a, a majority of scotland is covered with these peat bogs wow um it used to be used as an energy source so it was basically their version of like wood 
to yeah. heat their fires. Is it, mm. is it somewhere? Is it right in saying it's like somewhere between wood and coal? Yeah, it's, it's sort like of dirty deeply pressurized wood. <laughs> organic matter that's right. kind of caked ah. into these like little little chunks that you can like kind of carve out into like these these squares. I think they manufacture fake peat now because I don't think you're allowed to use it in your home fires no, and things like that. It's only for uh, Yeah, whiskey. I think it's actually protected in it that is way protected. now because they previously did, but they they still use a manufactured peat yeah. for home fireplaces and stuff like this. I only learned this when I was visiting Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I wish I could remember the details, but there was there's like a geological reason as to why the peat bogs you could actually draw like a line over where they are in Ireland, this sort of hilly, swampy sort of country. Mm. Um and a direct line to where it is in Scotland. And it's yes. there's a geological reason oh, wow. of coincidence over time That's that has created why Whiskey exists, Yeah, okay. And, and so, these bogs are also where you find a bunch of bodies and shit, right? They've found, like, really well-preserved yes, human remains yes, and yes. shit in there. Because they 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 don't have oxygen in them. And, and that's, that's what the gives that whiskey part. that little, <laughs> no, the little <laughs> je ne sais quoi yeah. of, of cannibalism, which is so, nice. <laughs> Distilled what, life. So peat is sort of, like, kind of – the peatiness is sort of defined by, like, this rich, deep smokiness, right? Mm-hmm. That's how we would probably describe it. And so yeah. how do they get – this peat into the whiskey. Yeah, this good is question. really fascinating, and I, I kind of just assumed that they, I don't know, chucked it. Like my original <laughs> conception was like, 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 like chuck it, <laughs> bang, just it, bang in it in there. there. <laughs> so this happens in the malting stage, which is sort of a pre-stage to creating the soup, the wort, or whatever. You have to mm-hmm. basically wet the barley until it kind of sprouts. So you have to like germinate the barley and then you have to dry <laughs> Sorry, it. You said wet the barley and I was thinking about barley was dead to begin with and yeah, I was stuck there for a that's while. That's fucking terrific and that's how we got the peat, yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's the first line from A Christmas Carol. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> you wet the barley. <laughs> so, you, so the whole process is so you, you wet the barley so that it sprouts and then you dry it. You have yeah. to dry it before you can then put it into the the soup to then start the fermentation process, start the distillation process. So what is why? What is why? Okay. I mean, like, why did they, what is why? When the- so they germinate it because I think that it helps, uh, it allows the yeast to actually work on the barley because you've got uh, sort of like- We're back on yeast. Yeah, nice. yeah because it's releasing the, sh- the sugars. Yes. It's it, breaking down the it's barley. It's breaking down the barley to get it to like- And then they dry it because the next stage requires it to be dry. Yeah, it needs to be dried so that it can actually yeah. kind of go into the soup. And gotcha. yeah, again, this is the same process as beer. Yes. At this stage. Yeah, at this stage. Cool. Yeah, so basically it's the end part that is, makes it different. So then the, what happens is you you use this peat as a heat source to dry the the barley. And so in Scotland they just were using it because it was their form of like logs. It was their logs on the fire. They yeah. were just – this is how they dried their barley. Mm. And then they found out that their whiskey is kind of dope. So then they <laughs> started deliberately doing uh, it. So it was imparting the flavor. Yes. Mm. And so what happens is you have the level of peatiness is sort of defined by the exposure to the peat, the length of time you're exposed to the peat and the amount of peat. So okay. you can control the depth of peat in your whiskey by either putting it over the kind of peat fire for like maybe two hours. Okay. You'd have a very light peatiness. Or if you want to go hard, like Lefroy does, they dry their malt over a peat fire for about 18 hours. So the peat is not actually put in no, the, the it thing is peat at all. smoke. It's just exposed to that through the process. Through the process of drying. So drying oh. the malt takes 30 hours. Okay. 
Lefroig exposes their malt to Pete for 18 of the 30 hours. And that explains a lot. That explains a lot about Lefroig and why right, it's fucking so delicious. Well, just to us uh, to, and to many, it is. <laughs> some of its tasting notes include like stuff like medicinal gauze. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yay, that's what you want in a whiskey. Yeah, it's exactly what I'm after. <laughs> I don't know what the problem it is. Has, it, like, um, uh, like an antiseptic. The texture of a flickering fluorescent light <laughs> in the corner of an abandoned hospital. Um, mm, delicious. Some and may so- say it is a Protestant drink, but... Uh- <laughs> And so, like, the various different kinds of peaty whiskey are either in mixed peat fires, so you can have basically peat and um, coke in a mix. That means it's, like, less peaty. Coke is another kind of wood. wood uh, it's another fuel source. I don't know exactly what it is. I think it's sort of like a sort of – it's another sort of peat-adjacent stuff. It's made from okay. organic matter, but it's a different gotcha. process. Nice. Um, Lefroig only uses peat fires. Pure peat fires. Pure peat fires. Uh-huh. Again, which is why it's so delicious. Mm-hmm. But then you have something like Glengoyne, mm-hmm. which is a scotch, but they don't use peat fires at all. There's right. no peat in that whiskey. So that's an unpeated whiskey. So that's like the yeah. other end of it. You've either got total peat, Lefroig, or you've got no peat. That is such Glengoyne. a cool and, um, yeah, thing Yeah, Kalila isn't peated either. Yeah, mm. unpeated. Yeah. So like, okay, so f- for me, just like, just to put my favorite out there, I think that my favorite whiskey of all time uh, not Spawn, obviously. <laughs> Fucking absolutely wish. I could. Oh. Uh, was the, is the Lagavulin 16-year-old. Mm. Because it is like, it is the perfect balance of peat to me. So it's like, for example, you know, like Lefroig. For listeners who are wanting to get into whiskey, don't start with Lefroig. End, <laughs> end there. Work your way there. Because it, it'll, like, it is very aggressive and sharp and like it has an alcohol flavor. It's like really punchy, but it also has a lot of peat to it. It was Whereas, described as a, by a friend of ours as the first tasting note they had with after sipping. It was just cheese and bacon shapes. <laughs> <laughs> whereas like, <laughs> which is obviously a good thing. Um, like, whereas Lagavulin is like, it's a lot less aggressive and a lot smoother, but it still has that smoky. So I, my tasting notes were just like waking up the following morning after spending the night gnawing on a ham hock <laughs> during your sleep. So it's just like the, a beautiful kind of smooth smokiness. And like, I, I fucking love that whiskey. Like if only it's, it's like a hug. It um, is like a hug. And my favorite thing about it is that when the bottle opens and it is poured into glasses, you could enter the home at that point and it will be like a waft yeah, it's smoke. Very like present. people have been smoking cigars, like yeah. that, like sort of haze. Mm. But the thing is, like the way that Sam is describing that sounds bad, and it's just fucking not. It's really good. <laughs> I, I thought that sounded good, but uh, anyway, I just wanted to share that, to, just to just to show the team that I'm on. And also, it was Ron Swanson's favorite whiskey. It actually was, yeah, coincidentally. Yes. But, and actually, yeah. it's Nick Offerman's favorite whiskey, and he works with like in real life. In real life, oh, that's tight. Um, he actually makes like because he's Nick Offerman is like a carpenter. He is yeah. he is his character from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> he makes like boxes for the some of the Lagavulin to go into. Amazing. It's so good. Oh, um so as you've already mentioned, Lagavulin is one of the um prime examples as well of like a, a what we would define actually as a heavily peated whiskey. Yeah. Um and so that's the Isle of um Eli. Isla. Isla, fucking just hell. Keep just say it different when next, The next pronunciation should be the word Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Lafroy, Glagavulin, Carl Ila, Ardberg, Balmore, they're all made on this this little foggy island off the coast of Scotland. Where they got access to the good ass peat. Where they have the peat. Well, at least they did. So like remembering that like, you know, it's a modern distilleries yes. now. So like, you know, they import ingredients, they import barley and yeah. stuff. But they have the same technique and approach. That they, ha- that they developed 
you know, hundreds of years ago. Through having the resource. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you guys have mentioned some very interesting tasting notes. And I'm now going to explain to you why those tasting notes exist. We're getting now really into the science. Okay. Okay. Buckle up. Buckle up. So as you've already mentioned, the malting promotes the access for the um, grain to actually be converted into ethanol. It allows yeah. the yeast to work on the sugars. Yeah. That's true. It breaks open the... <laughs> yeah, it breaks forth, brings forth the sugars. So peatiness is basically, can be defined as a function of phenol contents in malt. So phenols are type a type of alcohol. And so there's there's different, like, and they, they sort of, are alcohols that contribute different kind of flavor profiles. And so you've got phenols, guaicols, and syringols, and you've also got cresols, xylos. Like they've all, they all end at all because they are alcohols. And they're a long war. With each other. With, in, with each other. Yes. Yeah. Everything changed when the phenols attacked. Yeah. <laughs> so phenols, was that Avatar reference? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was going to go down the Smeagol route, but that's, we're yeah. not, when, yeah, so it's fine. The joke's made. Phenols. Please continue. Contribute an antiseptic and medicinal note to the whiskies. The more peat, the more phenols. Ah, medicinal peat. Medicinal peat. Um, the, <laughs> that was the name of the doctor on, on yeah. the um. The guayacols <laughs> produce in taste the sort of savoury woody aroma. Okay. And the syringols produce in the aroma the smokiness but also produce a spicy vanilla flavor yummy and then you've got all these other ones so like um, vanillas are really interestingly the vanilla and caramel are like really very very commonly kind of prominent and this is assuming your first taste isn't just petroleum of course (laughs) yes and then you've got gasoline sort of cresols which are like they they come in trace amounts but they also create the earthy kind of tar flavor mm-hmm. and um xylenols produce more of that medicinal flavor and then you've got these things called broad category of coastal flavors right. so these are like seaweedy marini so you know oh, talisker you know talisker dark storm which yes. is my favorite whiskey of it's all time whiskey. it's it a really fucking a phenomenal whiskey. whiskey it tastes like the ocean but like a fire next to the and ocean. You can get Talisker <laughs> wherever you f- listen to your podcast. See, <laughs> right. I just thought that flavor was my just psychological nonsense in response yeah. to the fact that the, the sea is on the sea salt no. spray. <laughs> Those are yeah. due to bromophenols. Okay. My imagined. Your imagined. Your psychosomatic experience is due to science. Yes. Okay. And there so, like. So it's not imagined. So, Pete is such an important element to like producing these flavors mm-hmm. um especially those antiseptic medicinal flavors you can because malt malt will produce sort of smokiness just as a as a crop right. you will get a little bit of smokiness from that but doing it through the peat you're just you're just really enhancing turning it up to 11 mm. well, of course because so there's different alcohols of, of course because um when you're distilling i'm pretty sure that's like the first stuff that comes out you have to just oh it's throw trash. away because it's actually like Deadly poison. That's why, like, it's you know how like uh, illegal stills or something like you're making a still in your house. You've got to. It's illegal in a lot of places because it's super risky. I think here um, because it's very risky because Mm. if you don't know what you're doing, you could just actually poison yourself. Yeah, interesting. And before we get back to sort of like the sort of long journey of whiskey becoming into our our lives, there's also the Irish, which is American. The American style we'll talk about later. Yeah, we'll come back to completely different sort of history Mm. and and space. But Irish basically is light and fruity, less peaty, and typically distilled in a copper pot rather than steel pots. And so you've got single grain, which is malt barley in a single distillery. You have grain, which can be made with corn or grain, either or. Mm -hmm. You have single grain, which is basically it's 
one kind of grain. Mm. I've had one of them before. It was punchy as fuck. Yeah. And then you have blended, which is apparently 90% of the production of Irish whiskey is blended. Yeah, Irish. like Jamison. Like Jamison, yeah. which is delicious. Mm-hmm. And then you've got single pot still, which is a blend of malted and unmalted barley that is brewed in a single pot. And that's a whole other process. That's a traditional one. Doesn't Jamison make a single pot? I they thought do. Jamison was a single pot still. I went no, to their distillery. Isn't. I don't remember much they of that. They do so, a single pot still. <laughs> because um, the Irish government actually in the past like 50 years has like a, it's it's like regulated the mm. definitions as Irish whiskey is a particular kind of way of making whiskey. Yeah. And then Irish pot still whiskey, you can label legally if it follows these I love that. Rules. I love that it's like yeah. because it's such a point of national pride that it's like we're going to legislate around this. Oh, Samantha's holding up a book that has... It's called the, the World Atlas of Whiskey by Dave Broom. And it's got these amazing diagrams about how, like basically the process of how these these whiskies are made, which... And the difference between grain production, Irish pot still production. And then I think it's got It's other, epic. It's got Very cool. Too. Yeah, and then it's got Kentucky and Tennessee production and, like, the whole malt production. Like, yeah. this book is actually really great. If you really want to get into the whole thing with That's whiskey, nice this yeah. is a really... Because it's also got beautiful pictures and it goes into detail about, like, the regions of Scotch and all of that. It's a very, Super very cool. Good. By the way, we're going to put up photos of, of, like, diagrams and stuff we don't use worry, on Instagram, yeah. so don't... <laughs> Don't worry. Don't freak out, man. Ever just stay calm. Yeah, so I think now is a time, good time to discuss where whiskey came from. Yeah, so that, let that, us begin I our wanted, journey yeah. in time. So now we know Scotch, we know Irish. Yep. They're different. They're both delicious. Why are they here? Why are they here? Also, what Indeed. does whiskey mean? Um, okay, see, th- hmm, that's a related mm. question. So I'm going to try and do this consecutively because oh. I think that'll be more fun. Mm. So. To trace whiskey, we have to trace the history of distillation itself. Yeah. So, like, we haven't actually described distillation in that process, I just realized. But it's basically after all those stages that Sam described, you, like, basically capture the water vapor of a... You boil it off. The vapors, I should say. You boil the liquid, you capture the alcohol, it condenses into another pot. There's either column... Yeah, I'll just quickly run through it. Yeah, column still. pot still or column still. Pot still means it kind of rises and is condensed into another pot. And column still, it's... It's It's more complicated, It's more complicated, and they typically use that for bourbon and rye whiskeys. Okay. Yeah, so, like, that's what distillation is. And so if you take something that's um, bad... Basically, like you could take like half garbage cider that's semi-poisonous and disgusting mm-hmm. and you can distill it into something that's actually kind of tasty. If you just distill it enough, you kind of get a schnapps or something. Yeah, okay. and you typically um, distill whiskey two or three times. Yeah, you distill it multiple times. So you're getting more uh, more and more. It's funny because the verb to distill is has a double meaning to find the pure thing in the other thing. Right, okay. <laughs> so we're distilling so you're meaning from something. purifying it multiple times to get the more pure yep. form of the thingy. Okay, okay. right. So, um, and uh, drawing heavily on Kevin R. Kosar's book, Whiskey, A Global History from 2010. Um, so distillation, the earliest known distillation, distillation we have is in Egypt um, because they were real really? smart, real early, doing lots of stuff involving making beer taste better, presumably. Um, mm. And that's in the first century... BCE, which is pretty early when you think about the process and it's quite complicated and not entirely like obvious to do something like that. Yeah, totally. Um, But what was interesting about that is that it wasn't really to create like drinking alcohol as far as we know, like it was kind of just scientists messing around with stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, And that's kind of how distillation evolved after that. Like for the next thousand years, the Arab world takes it up. 
Mm -hmm. um, and Arab scientists are um, using it to transform things into pure other things. Mm -hmm. But again, not into like drinking, drinking alcohol. alcohol. Yeah, it's not they the were consumption. Making, that wasn't the first thing that they thought of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were making um, essential oils, perfumes. Okay. Um, were they using it for medicinal water. purposes as yeah, well? Like, like medicines, yeah, yeah. So like it was, again, this is alchemy. This is scientists going, we've got this advanced technology that we can distill some new thing mm. that smells like roses <laughs> out of something else. Amazing. Which is pretty cool. Um, what's funny is, is that then we have this long journey to Europe um, where, you know, things are translated. And because Arabic science, and we're talking about like 1000 AD, you know, 1100s, that sort of time, mm -hmm. um, like Muslim Arab science and stuff, that's, that's the, the greatest science in the world. So mm. those works are being hand-scribed, translated into other European languages um, and taken afar. Um, but when they reach the monks of Europe, who were the scholars of Europe, they... Um, have a different first thought uh, with this technology. Yeah. <laughs> because they distill stuff and they're like, you know what's really good about this is you can drink it. Um, <laughs> which is really funny because it's, it's like- This we've basically one goes said, straight up the nose. We've got a thousand years of technological development for someone to go like, I'm going to drink it. Like, basically like, Fuck yeah, dude. Or maybe the first people who did it died. I don't know. Um, yeah. So we don't really know exactly when that happened. Mm. Like, and like- Keep in mind that like there are records. Aristotle did write about distillation in some detail and did describe that you can distill something like wine into something that you can kind of drink. But there's not much evidence that they actually did that. So that's brandy. <laughs> so he's describing okay. the creation of brandy. Right. Um, so like there's like some early, early recipes and stuff that we have. So one of them is from the 13th century. He's trying to find a page very dramatically in his book. In as much vibration as possible. I feel like possible. you are in your own way there. <laughs> <laughs> a treatise by Albertus Magnus, who lived uh, in the 13th century. Take thick, strong and old black wine in one quart. Throw quick lime, which is calcium oxide. Powdered sulfur. Good quality tartar, which is potassium hydrogen tartrate. And white common salt all well pulverized, then put them together into a well-looted curcubit with alembic. <laughs> you will distill from it aqua ardens, a strong water, which should be kept in a glass vessel. That sounds like a poison that you make somebody. Um, especially mm -hmm. quick lime. Like, I don't know if you should be drinking that. He lived to 87, um, which oh, he had the elixir in the 13th century, he had the elixir of life. Holy shit. We'll return to that phrase very briefly Ooh, in a moment. Um, so drama. actually, yeah, no, you know what? Right now, right oh, now. Yeah. Okay. So the monks are distilling stuff. They're distilling all kinds of stuff. We don't really have a lot of details as to what exactly they're doing. It's probably going to be brandy though, because that was the most common spirit for a lot of like this time period. Because um, they had wine. They had lots of wines. Yeah. You distilled wine and you get something like brandy. Mm -hmm. So they thought this was like something like magic. Like the monks were so excited about this idea to the point where they started imbuing it with their theological ideas. Yeah. So they called it- they just it, did with fucking everything. <laughs> they were just bored. Um, and it's like, it tastes real good. Uh, but they, they called it um, aqua vitae, which means the water of life. Okay. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Aqua being yeah. water, vitae so this being is really like vital. Cool because this had another, another um, word that they used to describe it, which was called- um, quintessence. Right. So in alchemy in this time period, and now we're talking about the 14th century here, mm -hmm. um, quintessence 
was the fifth element. Right. <laughs> I just realized in this research that quint being five. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also essence, meaning it has a double meaning, meaning the fifth element, the magical element that binds the cosmos together between the heavenly bodies right. in this era of science and, and religion um, with something that's distilled into purity, a pure form, mm-hmm. which is distilled liquid. Yeah. So they also called that the ether. So the, and so that's this, this idea that like the ether is like they believed it to be what was between um, us and the stars, basically. Right. Um, and this this is an idea that actually persisted well into the 19th century as well. <laughs> like um, they were writing about this for a long, long, long time. Ishka Bartha is the where we get the word whiskey from, and Ishka Ishka. Okay. Yeah, because uh, Irish monks were distilling stuff, anything. And they translated aqua vitae, the water of life, into Irish or old Irish or old. It's an old Gaelic, really, because it belongs to old Scottish as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's um, into iscabaha, which literally means the water of life. Yeah. And over time, the word um, isca, which just means water, in and in modern Irish, just means water, um, became sort of fiske, and eventually anglicized into English, modern English, as whiskey. Whiskey. So that's how you get the word whiskey. Fuck, that's tight. That is like the longest etymology break we've ever had. <laughs> I feel refreshed. Because there was like three etymologies in there. Yeah. Like we had so many. Yeah, I just feel like I went on smoko for a bit. I'm back. I'm ready to go. I just remembered my favorite part. Um, <laughs> we mentioned, okay, so ethanol is the word for alcohol. It's a scientific word for alcohol. It's actually just a portmanteau of ethyl alcohol. Mm-hmm. Ethyl coming from ether. ether. Oh my god, I'm an idiot. Fuck yes. Uh, see, because I knew that. I knew that ethanol was a combination of ethyl alcohol because ethyl is a precursor word that you use to describe the the carbon cluster that's attached to the OH molecule. Oh so I knew that. Like I knew because it's ethyl plus alcohol. If the answer is right there, <laughs> it's right there in front of me. The ether. Amazing. Wow. Which is why it's so yum. Yeah. So this aqua vitae. Um, etymology that is not just for whiskey; it's also for eau de vie in French, mm-hmm. okay, um, right. which is a light brandy, and Adkavit. Aquavit, yeah, which is yeah. what vodka. Uh, it's kind of like it's like a spiced potato or grain spirit mm. from Scandinavia. So cool. And like the reason that we get these names is because the monks were like, "This is too good to be not spiritual. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. It has to be magic. It's bringing you closer to God because yum. Because also normal life is like." Um, cholera-ridden sin, and uh, this is too nice for that. So, we don't know exactly when um, whiskey itself started to be made, i.e. a distilled spirit based off barley grains and some other stuff. In order to be consumed recreationally. Yeah, because that's two different things. Because even the monks, you know, like... There is much. There's drinking going on with this because they're making rather a lot of whiskey, but and spirits, but they are. Um, and they're not allowed to smash, so it's kind of like <laughs> you gotta find something, man. You gotta. <laughs> but still, the dominant use of in this time period was to use it as medicine or scientific purposes. Yeah, That's okay. the, how they saw it. Um, For cl- like cleaning, you know. I mean, they, yeah. but the thing is, they can't have known, right? I mean, like germ theory and stuff doesn't exist, right? They don't. No, no, they wouldn't have conceived of that. Okay. Um, which is it's really interesting. <laughs> I was actually going to bring this up. Sorry to derail this thought for a little Please bit. Please do. But it's like, um, but my knees hurt. No, I was like, what was <laughs> let's talk about, can we just talk about me for a second? Um, no, I want to talk about horses if they were predators. Like. Yeah. Like, what, what, yeah. 
<laughs> like the the flavor profiles and things that we were talking about before and how there is a scientific basis for all of those things. I find it fascinating that it's like we know that in hindsight with modern understanding of science. Mm. But of course, all of those things that were affecting flavor and, and having that outcome on whiskey were done kind of off the cuff and by feel, you know, they were, yeah. it was, it was jazz, man. It was <laughs> yeah. like they were fucking letting rip. It's, it's just awesome. Anyway, yeah. that was just a side it's, it's like when you think about the process of how beer or whiskey, wine are all made and you sort of go, wow, that's a really involved process that we now have got very demarcated stages for and it's all very like cleanly yeah. done. They were just kind of vibing that. Yeah. They it's were just, just incredible. Of, yeah. Like yes, ending my science experiment. All right. Yeah, so, okay, the earliest record is kind of funny because um, it's definitely the earliest evidence of whiskey production. Right. Definitely for sale or, like, use for drinking. It was in 1494 in the Scottish Exchequer Rolls, and the the entry says, eight bowls of malt to Friar John Cor wherewith to make aquavite. Um, And the eight bowls apparently would be about 507 kilograms of malted barley. That's a lot. Yep. it would. Supposedly this would make something close to 200 liters or more of whiskey. But where are they, where are they getting them? Man, <laughs> like getting what? What do you mean? A, a well, lot. Like the people are growing barley and then they're clearly the, there's just a revenue source now that you That's don't. fucking Because people eat barley. Can I just say that that is honestly earlier than I thought it was going to be. What year was it again? 1494. Oh, yeah, that's way earlier than I thought. Now, keep in mind, that's the first written record. So yeah, okay. it's probably earlier than that. It's been because there's a lot, there are some writings that sort of suggest that something like whiskey might have existed in Ireland or Scotland around 1100s. Yeah, I mean, like, so if you've got a homebrew situation going on, yeah. like, you're not, that's not mass production. That's just like doing what you do. Well, yeah, because like, so people were making stuff, like, but they just weren't writing that down. We don't know what peasants were doing. They didn't yeah. write down that they had a still that was Is it- making stuff. It's hard to say the word pe- peasant without peasant. sounding that it's derogatory, isn't it? <laughs> you there, a peasant. <laughs> Take my bag, of course. I also think like the language of that quote makes me think it, it very much reads as though this is like a very common thing that was written, that this is the only example we have of it. But it seems like it's something that has potentially been written a lot because it's very formulaic. And you've got some entrepreneur type kind of monetizing something that exists. Yes, point, exactly. Right? Yeah, like it's it's believably already a thing by that point. Cool. Um, and especially because like, you know, in Ireland, before the famine, which is in the 1850s, mm-hmm. and before the, fa- like the Great Famine, like if I haven't mentioned, talked about this before, which I would be surprised, um, it sort of changed Ireland a lot because it meant that a lot of the people who were living very traditional sort of Gaelic speaking uh, lives um, in the countryside were all sort of either dead or mm. moved somewhere else. Um, and But before then, like sort of the, the Gaelic Ireland of the countryside, um, whiskey distilling and drinking was a like a cultural phenomenon by that stage. Mm. It was like traditional. So and that, if you're talking about that's the 18th and 19th centuries, it was clearly going on before then. Yeah. <laughs> so right. it's like that's clearly happening already. That's fucking cool. Okay, so it's worth mentioning at this point that... Um, we had this very neat and tidy definition of what whiskey is, but um, until the 20th century, nothing was standardized. And when people were just making whiskey on the street, it was just like anything. But also, like, I mean, is the 20th century when we just started fucking caring about labels? Like, we started <laughs> giving a shit for some reason? Well, okay, so 
here's actually a cool story about this is that in Scotland and Ireland, um, whiskey sort of rose to popularity because it was banned. Nice. Oh, like heavily regulated. Love that shit. It was exactly the same story. I just, I didn't expect it to mirror this much, but I suppose the English were the same. So, um, you know, in Ireland from as early as like Henry VIII, um, they imposed strict laws on the production of distilling. Uh, Aquavite because it was becoming in their eyes a serious problem <laughs> because people were drinking it everywhere. Um, but of course, the more they restricted it, people wouldn't go to the legal whiskies. They actually got started being called Parliament whiskey, which like, is great. But the legal whiskey was Parliament. Yeah, like whiskey. the legally sanctioned whiskey. Yeah. By the British government, and that's derogatory. Because it's like, <laughs> that's for them, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's right. the, when you drink Parliament whiskey, you drink yeah. the loyal street whiskey that's yeah. made from some dude. Did it become Fuck like synonymous English. with like an Irish revolutionary sort of sentiment? Yeah, yeah. Like it became literally tied with a sense of national re- like rebellion and I- identity. Oh, wow, that's, that's so, so <laughs> like, Let's fucking go. The same thing oh my God. in Scotland. Uh, in a little later, but like 18th and 19th century, they came down hard, the, the English government and parliament came down really, really hard on mm-hmm. Scottish distilling and the same thing happened and it became like actually a symbol of national resistance and Scottishness. And that's why to this day, it's kind of the drink of Scotland and it's just because the English cracked down on it. Wow. Oh, the just, English never learn. <laughs> it's, it's just like, I, I can't describe the joyful schadenfreude that I'm experiencing <laughs> internally right now. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, we started this with the romance, romance of um, whiskey and Scotch yeah. whiskey, especially like, and that's but part also of it. like, I mean, like all of us are experiencing this because like, th- there's that Aussie tendency that we talked about in the the Australian yeah. episodes of like, you know, like rooting for the underdog kind of thing, and the idea of these kind of uh, upstart countries rebelling against the the puritanical iron fist of the, the English rules about a drink <laughs> just <laughs> is so good to me. I love that. But it even affected like the flavor because Irish whiskey, you know, the whole thing with the traditional pot still whiskey and stuff and a lot of other Irish whiskeys, they'll use malted and unmalted barley, sometimes mostly unmalted barley, which gives it a really light, sweet flavor that you associate with Irish whiskey. That was just because in the colonial era, there were regulations on barley use in distilling, uh, in particular malted barley. Oh, my God. So So they just had to use unmalted barley and they made it work. The reason (laughs) that Irish whiskey tastes so good is because it's fueled and distilled on rich English Ponce tears. (laughs) That is so fucking tight to me. It's got wig powder in it. Like, go fuck yourself. Because um, apparently Irish whiskey was pretty much the same as Scotch whiskey for hundreds of years. They used peat fires, Mm -hmm. so it was peaty. Yeah, and it wasn't. It was full malted barley. Whereas now it's rare to get a peated Irish whiskey. Yeah, I have had one of those. Connemara. Connemara. Yeah, it's and the only it's, one. It's not fucking bad. Yep. I mean, but the thing is, it's not what I reach for when I reach for an Irish whiskey, though. No. You know what I mean? Mm. Fuck, that's cool. Oh man, I I'm filled with like righteous fucking fury right now. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like, good. But it's so perfect because it's just like an amazing little pinup for like. Bad policy approaches. Yes. It was like prohibition. Yeah. <laughs> like, it resulted like- in like excellent things for us now because now we have these gorgeous whiskeys to drink. Mm. Oh my fucking That's so God. incredible. Yeah. Speaking of prohibition. Yes. Yeah, yeah. shall, shall we pivot to the United well, I mean, States and, and of also America? Kind of speaking of a little bit of English rebellion, which <laughs> yeah. seems to be the continual theme. Yeah, with, I mean, this. that's what the United States of America is, is isn't it? So American 
whiskey. Now, this describe I think, it to us. Now, I think this is going to be a little controversial because there are people who don't want American style whiskey, bourbon, to be classified as whiskey. Okay, there's a whole thing about it. Well, we're not gatekeeping here. So let's just fucking do also, it. Also, I love bourbon. Yeah, because I was sure. raised right. <laughs> Out of the first of all, <laughs> I just first of literally all. just said we're not gatekeeping. <laughs> the first thing you do is keep the gate. <laughs> okay, so American style whiskey, less smoky, less peaty than Scotch and Irish whiskey. That's kind of the okay. first thing. The the other the other distinction is sort of um, so in terms of maturation. So all whiskeys are aged, and they're all aged in wood. Except for corn whiskey, which can be unaged. Okay. And corn whiskey is kind of more of an American style thing. But can we talk at some point, just putting a pin in it, because yeah. we can just can we talk at some point about what aging does to sure. yeah, whiskey yeah. as well? Sure. Um, and so bourbon, rye, and other types of American whiskey must be aged in new charred oak barrels. So they're barrels made of oak that have been recently charred. So that's what imparts a lot of the smokiness that you get. It's not from the peat. It's from like the smokiness of the charred barrel. And they intentionally do that. It's they not just like, there was a fire and we it's all we got. So <laughs> I wonder if that's how it started. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I wonder. So like Scotch and Irish, there are classifications of, of American style whiskey. You've got bourbon, mm-hmm. which is uh, 51% corn mash. And it has to be produced in Kentucky for it to be called bourbon. Kentucky, France, obviously. Kentucky, ah. France. The Kentucky region <laughs> of France. That answers our question about bourbon, Victoria, Australia. <laughs> yeah, actually true. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that would probably be sour yeah. mash. So it would be called Sparkling. sour mash. It would be called sour mash. Then you've got Tennessee whiskey, okay. which is similar to bourbon in terms of the grain. So it's mainly corn mash, but it goes through charcoal filtering um, to mellow the flavor. And that happens during fermentation. So it goes through a charcoal filter. Can you give us an example of a... Um, Tennessee. Kentucky bourbon versus a Tennessee bourbon in terms of like brand, like something that- Woodford would Reserve would be a Kentucky bourbon. Yeah, it is. And um, the only one that I can think of that's Tennessee is Jack Daniels. Okay, yeah. okay. So like, okay, so for me, the pro- like, like the the main flavor difference for me when it comes to bourbon is like an overarching sweetness. Yes. And, a, um, yeah. and an aftertaste of um, Satan's asshole. <laughs> okay, um, that's very interesting. <laughs> I'm delicious. My and actually, you know what my yum, impression yum, yum. is is because like I do appreciate some bourbons, and it's nice to have some some quality or very interesting bourbons that that and um that that they're like actually whoa that tastes nice. But like mm. yeah, it's uh, to me it's like a sickly sweetness compared to the whiskeys I'm used to, and then anger. I don't know. Yeah, like, and it's and just I think syrupy, like, syrupy punch. To I the think mouth. that that's the corn. Okay, the corn makes me angry. Yeah, and so no, makes it makes it sweet. sweet. Oh, <laughs> um, because I think that there's like more sugar more carbohydrate mm. quantity in corn. And so there's a lot more of that process happening and it's coming that. out. That's cool. And then you've got rye, uh, rye whiskey, which is rye mash. Um, and it has to be distilled to no more than 80% alcohol by volume, which is, I think, f- uh, 40. No, that's more than 40. That's more than 100 proof. We'll get into that's proof huge. later. Because yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, like, rye whiskey is like the most, one of the most popular whiskeys in the US prior to Prohibition. Uh, prohibition. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so Prohibition, because Prohibition just decimated so many distilleries across the country. Right. The rye ones particularly suffered. And so while they still exist, they used to be like... Prolific. Okay, have some rye. Like it was just, it was like a normal thing. Yeah, I thing. don't think you know, like that not I a weird thing. think of a rye whiskey that I've ever had. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of one, but I don't think I've ever I'm had I'm not even it. sure I've seen one in yeah. Australia. Yeah. And then you can actually have wheat 
American style, which is, again, 51% wheat mash. And then they actually do have uh, single malts, and they're, like, honeyed whiskeys, usually. Okay, yeah. um, very similar, actually, to kind of the Japanese-style whiskey, which is also kind of honeyed and sweeter. Oh, yummy. I, okay, so Japanese whiskey. Again, I'm just, I'm just like, it is literally my job just to, like... <laughs> they, I exist in this podcast as, like, the trolley problem. Or <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to change lanes um, and kill either a small number or a large number of people. Um, for me, like Japanese whiskey, like the the again, if we're talking about you know American whiskey, the, the prevailing kind of flavor is that sweetness. For Japanese whiskey, it's like not sharp but very crisp and clean. Yes, fresh cut grass vibes. From for in a really good way, yeah. Um, with mm. Japanese whiskey, it's described yeah, like, as smooth and like delicate mm. and like perfumed. I find it feel like I suppose all Japanese food for the most part and, and is, is all really clean. Like it's a clean flavor, you mm. know, for me, which very is single flavor, super cool. Yeah. So Japan was actually one of the reasons why Scotch survived the um, prohibition. Because you think about the U.S. as a market for whiskey imports mm-hmm. as well as production, right? Um, when the prohibition happened. They actually, um, that, it just destroyed Irish distilling. Ireland before the prohibition was actually more dominant than Scotch in its production. It was the because whiskey place. They were exporting to the United the US. States. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then they just got completely destroyed by it. And the reason why Scotland survived in distilleries is because they had exports to other places like Japan. Actually, oh, at the time, interesting, and Australia. Well, because Japanese whiskey is um, described as being similar to Scottish Lowland and Speyside style. Yeah, okay, so clearly, it's a very Scotch adjacent um, flavor profile, which is obviously then like something we're now that witnessing they like the global impact of shitty American puritanical bullshit. Nonsense. Yeah, but yes. So, like on American whiskeys again, though. So, like, um. The only historical angle we can really put on this is really simple, which is just like, why is the whiskey different? It's like, well, they had different stuff. They had different stuff. And yeah. that changes mm. the processes. Because if you're trying to make a mash out of corn, mm. it's a way tougher grain than barley. So you can't just like soak this and get it soft and chuck the yeast. You know, like, mm. it, you've actually got to like cook it. So they actually cook their mash. Right. To break down the corn and soften it enough. Oh my God. Okay. And then, so then there's another technique uh, where they take some old previously distilled stuff from the second distilling or something like that, mm-hmm. and then they pour it back into that mash mixture. And that's a very acidic thing. It's a pH balance thing to try and um, keep the yeast working, and that's why it's called sour mash. Gotcha. Oh. Yeah, I was about to say that. That's yeah. fucking cool, man. That's yeah, yeah, so it's cool. really cool. I love that too because it's like a very fundamentally different process, which is why people don't classify them the same way because there's a very kind of purist idea that you need to sort of have like the malting, the mashing, the fermenting, the distilling, the aging. Mm-hmm. But like if you having to, and, and like it all is sort of like you're removing things, but you're not adding anything. Like you sort of add everything at the start and then it's just a process of refinement mm. to the end. Whereas that is clearly a process of like cooking and adding and like removing and then putting stuff back in. It's like a more, there's more steps Yeah, to and it. the Tennessee method has got like, I think um, they sort of put on an under burnt wood again. Um, yeah. They strain it through the burnt wood or something the, like that. That's a charcoal yeah. filtering. That's it. That's, that's the charcoal said. filtering. Yeah. So that there's a there's a separate filtering station before you, I think it's between the fermentation and the distillation, they filter it, or it's between the mash and the fermentation. Like at some point there, they filter it, which completely then changes 
sort of like the components that are in there. Right. Which that then might be like, changes the fermentation process, changes the distillation process. That aggressively smoky flavour of like of your JD, like of the Jack Daniels. Right, okay. like, I've never described Jack Daniels as smoky because, again, it is so much sweeter, sweeter than the yeah, whiskies yeah. that I tend to enjoy. That yeah. it's like that sweetness is what's kind of prevailing about the flavour of it. But, yeah, I, you know, like I, I haven't... I've gatekept myself away from bourbons in general. I haven't really enjoyed them, but it's like if I was to find like a boutique fucking bourbon, like something that is, you know, super refined and made with art in mind, I, th- I think I would probably enjoy it and I probably should sort of dig into it a bit more. Well, we do actually have a couple of bourbons here. Oh. Mm. Mm. So we're talking about global whiskey now and we're talking about so many different types. So I've got a list here that is the list of countries... Uh, which have the highest consumption of whiskey per capita. Per capita. What's the... What, okay. The highest in the world. The highest the high, in the like, world. Okay, so we're talking per capita, so it doesn't matter the size of the country necessarily. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's like I think that the per volume versus per capita is just a wildly different story. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, okay. It's, it's, this is hard. I reckon... Scotland. I'm just going to swing. I'm just going to swing at Scotland. I'm going to go there. Or Ireland. I've seen you know. <laughs> Sam already knows. I see the list. It is not Scotland. Scotland is nowhere to be found on this top 20 list. What the fuck? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. That's because, to my sadness, Scotland is not an independent country. The United uh, Kingdom is there, but it is much lower than you would expect. Okay. Um, it is France. France. It per is capita. France at 2.15 litres per person. per person per year. That's a lot of whiskey. Keep in mind, okay. Okay, so now keep in mind. That what I'm learning a- is I drink too much whiskey. <laughs> no, 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 okay. <laughs> two two litres a year, you might go, that's not that much. But to keep in mind, it's a per capita. That's the entire population of France they're averaging uh, over. Think about the, okay, remove all the miners, hopefully. Uh, rem- and then remove well, all of the I people who don't I, drink whiskey. If I spent a day working in the mines, I oh, reckon I would. Jim, I was going to do the exact same <laughs> joke. Yeah, let's fucking do God it. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Jim. Okay. Number two. It's, it's just you. This isn't really fair. Actually, I, don't, um, I only remember that it was France at the top. Um, oh, okay. Number two, Australia. I'm going to say it let's, is. I, Aussie pride. Australia. I'm going to say it is China. Per capita. Bold. Um, That's bold. It's a big swing. <laughs> Uruguay. Oh. At 1.77. Leaders per person. Per person. Per then year. Per year. Third is the United States. Okay. There we I, go. Like that was, they that were going to be sense. in my top five. 1.41. 1. Sure. Fourth is Australia. Let's go. Yeah. 1.35. 1.3. Close behind Spain, 1.29. Then behind them, the UAE, 1.27. And then the United uh, Kingdom, uh, 1.24. Hang, hang on a fucking second. The UAE... Yeah, per isn't, capita. Isn't there like puritanical... Men can drink. ...religious... Wait, really? I don't know. United Arab Emirates. Think about that. No, it's Qatar you can't drink in. I reckon... I reckon... Look, okay, correct us because there's obviously... <laughs> there's just people of visiting the place. This is one fucking... <laughs> I know guy. This is what I'm thinking about, like, the whole, uh, you know, France being at the top. This is just like one French dude who is just doing it for the nation. He's <laughs> doing it I, for the republic. I'm fairly certain women can't drink, but men can. All right. Correct okay. us if we're wrong. Correct please. us if we're wrong. Though. Then the United Kingdom at 1.25. Then Ireland at 1.24. So they're pretty much neck and neck there. Gotcha, yeah. And then, last one I'll read out is India at 
Now, wow. you told me something really interesting about that India. That is a hugely yes. popular place. So India, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and have a go at what you told me. Yeah. So this is per capita. So this is mm-hmm. based on the total population per person. Yes. Yeah. If we go per by liter volume. by volume of consumed of of of, of alcohol consumed, India is number one, right? By a massive margin. So they drink per volume per but year. But I mean, that, that, they would have to. They would have to to be on that list. To be on the per capita because, list, because yeah. they're so fucking. But it's it a really so much, popular but country. Still, that's a statistically remarkable thing. If they're yeah. like at number eleven or something at on per capita, and then overwhelmingly yeah, number well, do one. Do you remember so the there numbers? Are so many people. I, I sadly don't because data like this is sometimes hard to get like exact details. Yeah. So I didn't like, but it's in every single because, list. Because uh, like every after single... a big night, just how much did I drink last night? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's and also... the data I just read, I should say, was from 2014 as well. Okay. And I think in more recent lists, I've seen. Um, I saw an article that was talking about the data and it said that India was approaching the top of like just everything. Yeah, because wow. I remember you talking to me about this and you were saying that it's not just the sheer amount of like, uh, like the volume was quite large, but it was like the gap between them and the next person was like hundreds of liters. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. But this is to do with just one drink mm. a lot of the time. So there's one drink in India, which is the most popular drunk whiskey in the world. Yes. So not JD... Not Johnny Walker. Is it an Indian whiskey? Is it made It is an in Indian India? whiskey. It is called Officer's Choice. So, okay. And keep in mind, this is like almost entirely domestic consumption here. Right. This isn't like exporting or anything. Right. It's just Indian citizens drinking Indian whiskey. Um, it sells 28.4 million nine-liter cases per year. Wow. Oh, now, for comparison, the second on that list is Johnny Walker. With 18 million cases. Of absolute garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny Walker Black's not bad. I just dislike it intensely. By the way, I had to, I had to, like, not to, I'm going to disparage Johnny Walker now because, like, I was hanging out with a mate and we're both whiskey fans. You know, we like a a cocktail, we like a whiskey. And at the end of a, a sort of a night's drinking, we, we were sort of out of the nicest stuff. And we're just like, yeah, let's let's have one more. And so we cracked the bottle of Johnny Walker Red that he just ha- he got as a gift and it was just around the house. And I, I took my first sip and just went, nah. <laughs> and just put it <laughs> no. down. It's not worth putting that in my body. It was so fucking bad. Well, I wonder what Officer's Choice is like. I know mm. it is an inexpensive whiskey. Um, it is actually, and this is worth saying, so I said it was the highest selling whiskey in the world. Mm-hmm. It is in fact the most consumed spirit in the world. Wow. So it is so ubiquitous in India that, that it, it, it outsells, just, wow. like, you know, whatever, Smirnoff vodka, like, everything. Gin, in, gins, tequila. The high, yeah, tequila. The highest selling spirit is a whiskey, and it is a whiskey from India that basically no one in, in like, in our country or others have, have heard so, of. So the, the production, they, they would have to make so much. So my question to follow that is it must be a young whiskey. Yeah, yeah you know, they're not so. aging it for that long. Well, like it, it, its description on the front must be some legally sanctioned description because it's horrible. Mm. It's got this sort of like bottle with like an officer image. It says officer's choice in red things, and then it says grain neutral spirits and Scotch whiskey with caramel color added. <laughs> with caramel, yeah. <laughs> officer's <laughs> choice. It's potable for human beings. <laughs> but worth saying, like a lot of the more inexpensive blended whiskies that are on shelves here, yeah. they would have exactly the same description. And they actually gotcha. do, even sometimes in single malts, add caramel colour for evenness. For the vibe. So it's just because they have to put that on the label that makes it seem like, oh, this dirt oh, cheap whiskey that they're drinking. I, we like, should get a bottle. I want to check that out now. Yeah, I'm really curious. 
Oh. Do a live taste test if we can ever get our hands on it. Yeah, when we're doing an episode down the track yeah. that needs a little bit of extra oomph. Yeah, <laughs> bring an officer's choice. Yeah, so I think now would be a really... So we actually have in our house, because uh, we love whiskey so much, mm-hmm. f- four different bottles of whiskey. So we have an blended Irish. Is it a blended Irish? Yeah, so it's a blended Irish. A single malt scotch. Yep. And two different kinds of bourbon. One is a Kentucky bourbon. One is a Tennessee blue corn mash. Wow. And what, and I didn't know corn could be blue. <laughs> yeah, it can be blue. It can be purple. It can be all different kinds of colors. You can get tricolored corn. So good. It's very fun. Tricolored so corn? It, the corn. Rainbow corn. The, yeah. It, and I, yeah. yeah, in science, you, you do a thing with like, it's it's one of the examples of do phenotype, genotype stuff. But okay, like, cool. Raise the tricolor. Okay. So we're so going to get some whiskeys. We're going to get a little bit, a couple of, couple of whiskeys. Um, and then I'm also, I have this fun, I have these lists of tasting notes. Oh, my God. Oh, I can't wait. That'll so be fun. So we'll see if we can, I don't know if I have all of these tasting notes, but I have some of the other ones that we've drunk before. So I thought yeah. it might be fun for the ones that we've all had I read you the tasting note. You tell me if you can tell me which whiskey it is. Oh, let us begin. Okay, let us just quickly. It's a game show. It's an bo bo bo. So what we've just done is we've just popped off to um, pour out little samples of the four uh, whiskeys that we have. Um, and I have to tell the smell in this fucking room is so good right now. <laughs> it's really, really delicious. It is a curious blend right now on the nose. Yeah. Um, so did you want to, let's, let's play, welcome to the game show element of the <laughs> podcast. So I have collected tasting notes, profiles of whiskeys mm-hmm. in the general broad sense of the term, including bourbons. Okay. Yep. That we've all had Thank before. you for clarifying. Yep. So may not help because we've all tried various different kinds of whiskeys, but what we're going to do is I'm going to randomly read out the tasting notes. I'm not going to read out the nose. I'm not going to read out the finish, just the tasting notes. Just the tasting notes. notes. Okay. And so, I mean, the issue that I may have is that like there are some whiskeys that I've tried uh, that I have no recollection of and yes. I deny any wrongdoing and resign. So I think it, if you can name the whiskey, great. If you can name if it's Scotch or Irish, also fun. Okay, great. Oh, let us fail together and I am if, men. if you think it's Scotch, if you can name from whence it's from, where on Scotland is it Speyside? Is it Islay? <laughs> is it Dennis? Is it Dennis? Yeah. Is it Highland? Is it Lowland? I just think it's a lot of fun because also these tasting notes are fantastic. Okay, so I'm just going to randomly select Let her one. rip. Okay. What's this one for? Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, nearly got you. Anyway, uh, go. you think I actually, she would honestly, be so easily fooled. <laughs> I literally almost did say it. Oh, nice. Sorry. Okay, so sweet vanilla transforms into a heady combination of orange peel, butterscotch, cloves, nutmeg, and grapefruit. That grapefruit is Glenmorangie. That is another brand new car. Uh, that is. <laughs> So you think Glamorangie being a scotch? Yes. Okay. A single malt scotch, to be specific. Oh, very good. Yes. Teeling single malt. <laughs> You're both wrong. Fuck yeah. I'm Fuck so yeah. surprised. See, and this is, may have been the cruelest one to start with because it is the most dif- different from all what of them. What is it? Mm-hmm. This is Lark Distillery Classic Cask from oh, Tasmania. Of course it is. Tasmania. Whiskey. I That's feel so I wanted to start with the Australian uh, one because it is 
we didn't we haven't spoken about Australian production of whiskey. We have mm. a relationship with it, but it's not a big part of our industry. Yeah. They are super floral and citrusy. But they're yeah. also really, really good. I mean, like, awesome. if the vanilla hands, is a dead giveaway. Yeah. If you guys can get your hands on Australian whiskeys, try them. They're yeah. really, particularly well, stuff from Tasmania. And if you're just in Hobart, there's distilleries you can visit. And the Lark Distillery is absolutely an incredible experience. And it's in this old Bushels Tea factory, I think. Amazing. By the by the harbour. It's all really, That's really cool. That's the hippest shit ever. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to get that one out of the way because it is it is not like the whiskey profiles that we know of Scotch. and, and I just, Now that we are humbled. Now that you guys know. I, I knew that we were going to be wrong. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. I almost read the name of the whiskey. That's yeah. just... Okay. Tasting notes. Yes. Sweet beeswax and vanilla, a little too sweet at first. It balances out a bit with a presence of spices, particularly cloves, burnt caramel, and toasted oak. A hint of plums. It's really you know judgmental. To Glenn Morangy. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think I should... Glenn Morangy again. Glenn Morangy is not on this list. So stop... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just doing like a rock, paper, scissors method where I just do yeah, the same just thing. always choose good. <laughs> um, uh, a little too, too sweet, sweet at first. Too, but then but it then has you... these spice, burnt caramel, toasted oak, and a hint of plums. I hate this game. Uh, <laughs> Jamisons. Okay. Which is an Irish bloody single bloody pot still. No, it's a blended, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is a blended. Say Glenn <laughs> Glenn Morange, <laughs> do it, you coward. Nebuchadnezzar. This is the tasting notes for Balvenie Doublewood. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I love Balvenie oh, Doublewood. See, I love the recognition. Like, once you know which <laughs> mm-hmm. one it is, you're like, of it course. It is a little but too that's sweet because, at first. But that is because tasting notes are bullshit. <laughs> yes, and so that's Wait, the do other. They, do they have like a negative ones as well? Because like when we were looking at some of these like um, graphic representations in these books about tasting notes one of the cool things about it is that you can see oh these are the floral things these are the kinds of textures it has and these are some of the horrible stuff off, it has yeah what well, are known as off flavors so they can be like microbiological technological chemicals so they, they're like a rubberiness or a burntness like medicinal gauze okay, so, okay this is a great one I'm actually going to read the nose and the taste for this one okay let's go so nose peat is subtle and the nose is fairly sweet some soft vanilla and mild sugar along with ripe banana and green apple there's a hint <laughs> shut of shut the there's fuck a hint up. of rubber on the nose. Okay. The taste okay. smoky and peaty with a fair amount uh, of pepper no, and some tannins. A bit medicinal. There's not a lot. There's not a lot left of the sweetness that was so prominent in the nose. The palate is too watery. Lafroig. Did you just nod? No. Um, <laughs> I was going to say. Glenn just watching for the watching for the nod. Lafroig. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know what? You know what? You know what I'm going to say? Yeah. You know what I'm going to say is now that I'm stalling. uh, (laughs) You can agree. You're allowed to agree as well. I don't want to agree. (laughs) Talisker, go. That was Lafroig. It was Lafroig. I'm pleased with myself. Well done. And I love that. So that's a hint of rubber on the nose and a bit medicinal in the... Yeah. Rubber on the nose. Okay. Rubber and medicine. Yeah. Sounds like one of my favorite Let's do whiskeys. Something. Okay, here we go. Cheese and bacon oh, like shapes. A- shapes, by the way, are an Australian cracker yeah, that is popular. Shapes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and nowhere else can get on it. It only exists in, in Australia and New Zealand. Really? They don't export anywhere else, so suck it. They don't have um, cheese and bacon shapes. They don't have Tim Tams in the, in the States. And, for the best. I yeah. mean, Tim Tams neither. Yeah. Okay, here we go. So this is, I think this one also needs to have the nose included. So the nose of this is sweet oak, vanilla, bright fruits, and wheat prevail in the nose. The taste is sweet with a balance of oak, vanilla, and fruity essences. All right. So here's the thing. Last chance, and I know it's not on the list, 
But that sounds like fucking Glenn it Ramsey. It does. To me. I was about to say. Like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Glenn Ramsey represent. Let's go. Glenn Ramsey. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> Double down. It's Maker's Mark. It's Maker's Mark. Oh, it's a okay. bourbon. Yeah. Let's wow, I feel real dumb. Do All right, last one. One more. Let's do one more. Let me let me choose one. Okay, this is actually no, this is this will be a good one to end on. Okay, so goat's milk. <laughs> it's like, like this is just you're just describing milk. Yeah, it's a milky <laughs> foretaste and a milky aftertaste. Yeah, it's milk. Okay, so <laughs> the taste: peat and tar with salt, also burnt barley and bacon. Not much left of the fruit. <laughs> Rich and watery at the same time, which is weird for something bottled at forty six percent. Lagavulin. Big Pete. <laughs> Big Pete. Which is actually a whiskey. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> That's Ardberg 10. Oh, ah, yeah. yeah. Ardberg okay, right. 10. Yum. Okay. Love so, Ardberg. I actually also have tasting notes for some of the ones in front of us. So I thought Lovely. we could create our own and then I could tell you how close I'm you are. I'm so yeah, close. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> like, I swear, so, it's subjective. Here's, here's my thing it's like, I feel like 99% of tasting notes. <laughs> Are people trying to create a job for themselves? Yeah. Uh, it's, no, it's, it's like honestly, trying. To, I can t- smell, but and if you don't get the burnt banana from this, <laughs> like I mean, that's because it's all, it's all psychosomatic. Like when, when you, I, I, the last thing that I do is read the tasting notes on a bottle. I don't because the minute that you read the tasting notes on the back of the bottle or something, it means that you some, mm, yeah, like you know what, I can taste that. Yeah, yeah, Whereas if you fucking did it beforehand, you would never go like mm, it's. Definitely like desiccated coconut. It is absolutely, <laughs> it is overwhelmingly com- like your confirmation bias. Like, yeah. you're just like, oh, I don't know, there's definitely vanilla there. Like, oh, yeah, of course, that's how you describe it. And I'm like, well, maybe. I wouldn't. Cheese and bacon shapes is an acceptable <laughs> tasting yeah. note. All right, so what's the first one we have here? The, so the first, first that we're tasting. The first one we have is called Woodford, Woodford Reserve. Reserve. And it's a Kentucky straight bourbon, I think. Yes. Um, and this is one that is um, kind of used pretty regularly for like, making old fashions in the States. Like this is the okay. bourbon for that. Right. So I love this bourbon. Again, I'm- We've actually had this in old fashions. We've had this in old fashions before. Yeah. Um, so I'm going I'm to have a little sip. Go for it. Slowly. <laughs> you got to take your time with it. You got to respect them. Can you, can you sniff it into the mic, please? Too late. <laughs> mm, that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has a lot of fumes in you my mouth. You shouldn't have breathed in so hard <laughs> just now. More. Tip it further back. <laughs> okay. So the first thing that I'm going to say is for a bourbon, that's really nice. Yes. The second thing I'm going to say is that you still get that aftertaste. It's like, okay. So my, my journey with bourbon is just kind of like, if it's a nice bourbon like this, it's just kind of like, oh, that's really actually pretty. Uh. <laughs> like as it, as it sort of transforms. For me, it's caramel and then... Um, the kind of leather that a person in the <laughs> a person in the Civil War would have used to hold their firearm, because um, okay. there's the smell of of gunpowder, and there's historical associations to do with the fact that this is a very American beverage. Um, mm. So that's dumb. Uh, <laughs> for me, it ta- like there's definitely a medicinal thing at the beginning. In the middle is kind of sweet. And then the aftertaste is, um, uh, I'm going to go with your leather theme, but I'm going to go with leather daddy anyway. <laughs> See, Civil War leather daddy. I could drink this every day. 
This is so smooth to me. Mm-hmm. So beautifully smooth. Altogether, it tastes like orange to me. It is actually very I want to say the color orange. Citrus. Yeah, but I mean, a color orange. I, but there's also that thing where you're associating that with orange because you've had it in old fashioned. Yes. Yes. I'm hearing the little... like the vacuum. I'm hearing. Yeah. I'm tasting the vacuum. What Taste is this? the voice. <laughs> what does this one sound like to you? Okay, so the next that we're drinking is a Highland single malt scotch aged eight years from Glen Farkless, um, which is just a gorgeous word to say. It's Glen- lovely. In my horrible Australian accent, Glenn Farkless. Um, and uh, and here we bloody go. I'm not going to take a deep inhale, um, <laughs> but I'll try and slurp it for you guys. Hang on. <laughs> wow. Just slurping Visceral. fine scotch on the back. <laughs> Very light in colour. <laughs> I, I didn't take myself seriously. Mm. See if you laugh with like neat spirit in your mouth. Like it's like breathing in and out after a hot chili. It's just not a good idea. All right. So the first thing I'm going to say Whoa. is that I think that that is smoother than the bourbon. Yes. I still I think that texturally that is actually um, like a lot sort of smoother and kind of more chill. I want to say words like butterscotch. Butterscotch. Butter like like you've melted butter and you've put vanilla in it and you're going to make yeah. pancakes. I mean, there's definitely a viscosity difference as well, but from the bourbon to the whiskey, the yeah. bourbon is a lot thicker. So yes. is this what they were talking about in the tasting notes of, of kind of it is it is like watery, or watery? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, it tastes a lot like a whiskey to me. Uh, that's one of the tasting notes that I'll give you. It's, it's a whiskey. whiskey. <laughs> um, it it sure like is a whiskey. Pancakes to me. Oh God. Okay. You know what? It has the essence of bog body. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> it smells like maple. Yeah, I just, I don't, I fucking, I hate this. And I don't know whether it's because, like, I have an issue with classist shit, but it really does, like, ring of kind of, the flavour in this is on the back of rebellion against fucking English lords and their fuck <laughs> yes. wigs, and yet now we're giving it tasting notes. So, we're like, ah, ha, ha, ha. so um, fuck you is my yeah. tasting note for that one. So All right, so we're up to the third and most exciting, which is Brimstone. Oh yeah, and Texas is- scrub oak smoked corn spirit. So uh, it's not a bourbon. It is not a bourbon. It is a whiskey. Okay. It is a corn-based whiskey made from roasted blue corn, and the color of it is unlike the other whiskey. is basically black. It looks so like rum. Dark. It does look like a rum, actually. So I mean, like in the bottle, it's like it, out of the bottle in the in the glass, it looks almost like flat Coca-Cola. It's sort of the color of it. Mm, <laughs> delicious. Um, yeah, and so <laughs> this is just flat Coke. Yeah. All right. I wonder if there is caramel added. Mm. There's definitely caramel flavor. <laughs> oh, that's intense on the nose. Holy fuck. Actually smells actually like maple syrup. Fuck. You've never had this before. No. This is the first time you've had this. Sam and I have had Whoa, this. It's, some... like, it's like drowning in maple syrup while you're eating a log that was left in the fire overnight. It's like being crushed to death by weight in a grain silo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had took too big of a mouthful. Oh, it's so Ooh. good. That is so good. one of the most aggressive things I've ever put in my mouth. I and did. once I ate a piece of Mike Tyson. Um, I <laughs> agree with you with the maple. The maple is very strong. It's like you poured maple syrup on the fire to douse yeah. it. 
Yeah, it's like uh, um, pancakes in the octagon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because oh. like uh, the way it could be described as well is like you have like a smoky whiskey, like Laphroaig or something, like the and it's like it's like there is smoke on the nose, like there is a fire. Here's this is thing. like you were in the fire. Yeah, this is like I I don't honestly get the smoke out of that. I just got punched in the mouth. No, but imagine smoky wood, as in like it's still black with from the fire. Yeah. That's what the flavor is. Okay. It's not the same thing. So that, that brimstone, I will say it's like, it's good. Like, I mean, it sounds like yeah. we're being really negative about it, but it, it's just fucking intense. <laughs> you should all. try it in an old fashioned. It's incredible. But I mean, like the thing, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking, I'm, I, I, what I want is a nice, sweet, orangey Don't boy. Make me make you one on the podcast. Uh, yep. And our final The final whiskey, whiskey is... Tullamore Dew, Irish whiskey. Wait, wait a second. Before we do this, we realized something. It took uh, many, many years to realize this. It's not Tullamore Dew as in the word Dew. It's Tullamore D-E-W. It's actually got dots. It's D-E-W. got dots. Because it's named after the person. The written on the thing. Uh, D-E Williams. And he is- What a, the fuck? Because he developed- Yeah, so it was just a funny name. It was a clever name. Because he developed like a process, which then Tullamore- No, he established the Tullamore. I don't know. There's something about him. Look it up, guys. It's look very interesting. Look it up. It's great. We can't give I'm, you all the information. This fucking podcast is not about educating you, okay? It's about us <laughs> <I'm> like, drinking <laughs> whiskey. Because it's not its own distillery anymore because you know, like, distilleries often will distill for multiple brands nowadays. Yeah. And you know, I said how Irish whiskey was kind of decimated. Like there are only three distilleries in Ireland. What? <laughs> yeah, there's only three. But they're, not, they're often owned by the you know big conglomerates and stuff. Okay. So they'll brew, like, brew. Distill, like, Jamison and tell them all to you and stuff. Uh, you know what? You know how I said that my favorite whiskey of all time was the Lagavulin 16? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that the best whiskey that I've ever had is the Red Breast 21. And I spent a lot of money on just <laughs> one drink of that. And it's actually made at the Jamison's distillery. And it is... The only time that I've I've had a whiskey and like literally I know I've been making fun of tasting notes, but like there was passion fruit in that. Mm. It was like the most sort of like I, I got emotional drinking this fucking thing. I also was mm. drinking it. This is when I like when I was at the Oliver Plunkett in uh, when yeah, we were talking about cool. you know music in the music episode. Uh, I was sipping that and listening to people playing Irish music in the corner, and so it was just kind of you know a full on full body experience. Can I ask you mm. with the Tullamore De Dubs? <laughs> Or the Tullamore Dew. Mm-hmm. Is this a cheapo Irish single malt? Is it what? Like this what is, is a this? so this is the only blended on the table. It is a blended. It's a blended whiskey, and it's a fairly. It's just an inexpensive. It's whiskey. an inexpensive yes. whiskey along the same lines of of Jamison. Okay, right. Jamison's is old faithful. I old fucking, faithful. I will rely on Jamison. <laughs> okay, but it's a trip. It's triple distilled, which is different to Jamison. Um, Jamison's also triple distilled. Oh, was it? Yeah. So I'm wrong about you that. You are often wrong, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for my wrongness. Mm. Here's my thing. I'm not even going to provide tasting notes for that because it tastes like a nice Irish whiskey. But the thing is, if we're also comparing, <laughs> we just had like the Texas corn mash. Yeah, so this just tastes like relief. <laughs> it just tastes, honestly, I, what, what I tasted was like kind of honey water. Like. It is a delicious salve. Uh, it, is mm. a, it is a warm bar. Oh, that is really sweet, isn't it's it? It's really lovely. Think of the Irish making the honeydew. But again, like I, when it comes back, when, when it comes down to it, I, I don't have a really developed palate for, for like discerning specific flavors. And to be honest, I, I again, 
the kind of upstart in me rejects the wankery of that and I just want to describe it as like this is a nice whiskey which has a smoky tone or this is a nice whiskey that tastes kind of caramel or whatever and like that's where I land on it yeah well it's just like there's nothing wrong with just like you know enjoying a wine or something and it's being like oh this has got these tasting and so it's like yep tastes good it is tastes red it's nice I enjoy it like that's just as valid an enjoyment of this drink keeping in mind that for most of this drink's history it wasn't really anything like this um, because yeah. of this unregulated street-made rebellion juice, yeah. and um, like you know, it's it's got it's got a kind of different meaning to just being kind of a maybe a bit gatekeeping and and, uh, and because uh, of the the ongoing refinement of something due to like now our the privilege of of the twentieth and twenty first century of like the availability of uh, of, of stuff, yeah, stuff. And, and making incredible drinks as well. But it's just like there's no need to be kind of snooty about it. Like we yeah. can enjoy just as we did just then, like a single malt next to a blended. Yeah, and, and th- we like them all. I do think that that is an element that stops people from really trying it as well. Because I, I think the one thing we need to say is like you may not enjoy whiskey the first time you have it. It's definitely a refined. It's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste. Yeah, and I I think it's something that's worth persevering because there are so many different kinds of whiskey. Yes. There will be one that will match your palate. There'll be one that you can kind of enjoy, kind of like how I really enjoy the Woodford Reserve, but you guys were like not as keen on it. You'll find your flavor in a whiskey because there are hundreds and hundreds of versions. Yeah, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Switch, switch it up. Try the whiskey. It's delicious. <laughs> Try the drink. Drink the whiskey. <laughs> drink it. <laughs> or not if you don't want to drink the whiskey. Yeah, that's you fine. also don't have to do anything we sell. Uh, <laughs> ever. Um, what a fun thing to be able to drink in the morning. Guys, we're recording this. What's the time, Sam? Look at the clock. Five past 12. It's, oh, no, it's the afternoon. Fuck <laughs> Yes, we managed to be adults. I think this we have plausible deniability that we don't have a problem right now. <laughs> yes. Um, what the one big takeaway I think from today is that like uh, the excitement that whiskey has, um, it, it's it's ancient history. Spirits are ancient history, and you know they had and started with connotations of uh, religious and medicinal use, and then developed into something ever more refined into something that is for enjoyment as well as having almost a revolutionary um, substance to it as well, historically, uh, which to me just like ticks all of the boxes of joy <laughs> for me. Um, and I hope it does for you as well. So don't be afraid of whiskey. And also don't let somebody be snooty over a snifter. Get get stuck in and, uh, and don't let the gatekeeping stop you because it's a really wonderful thing. Um, I hope you've enjoyed digging into whiskey. I know I have. Uh, and we're going to drink the rest of these uh, sipped beverages now. Um, friends, thank you for joining us once again. It's awesome to have you with us. I hope you've been enjoying season two so far. Now, don't forget as well that we now have a Patreon. And we really appreciate your support and all of the people that have already signed on as uh, the patrons of everything. We uh, we love you. Thank you very much. Um also, over the last few months, you guys have been enjoying the um, mini-zodes that uh, the Sams have put together, diving a little bit deeper and putting a little bit more detail into topics that we've already covered, things from their research that we didn't get to touch on during the main episodes. If you want to have access to those, those are now exclusively for our Patreon members. So if you want to hear more of those and to support the podcast, that's the way to do it. Uh, thank you once again for joining us. For now, it's goodbye from me and the Sams. Goodbye now. Bye. Goodbye. Have a drink of whiskey or don't. We love you. Take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon.